So a good example is credit checks. You know, people will say, will come to us and say, hey, I've got my Equifax report. I pulled it a month ago. I don't want to ding my credit again. Right? And so we will send through a recommendation with conditional approval based on that, that old Equifax report. But we will say, unless you pull a new report and we will pull it directly, we have no guarantee that this isn't fraudulent. Well, we've all been talking about it in some form or another, and that's the housing crisis in Canada. Uh, we've been talking about tenants and landlords, high rental rates, non-payment of rent, um, evictions. And wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of, I don't know, like an app or a program that would bring tenants and landlords together and kind of solve all these problems? Well, I might have the answer for you in a couple minutes. But first, you're walk, watching the City DNA podcast, The People in Your Neighborhood. This is the podcast where we interview interesting people and businesses in our community, which is Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Today I have with me Hart Togman. He is the owner and founder of Rent Panda, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with his company. Hart, what is going on? <laughs> Uh, thank you for having me on again, and it's been uh, some time since we last spoke, so lots of new developments. Um, what is going on is, is a lot to unpack. Um, first and foremost, we are in a tumultuous rental market, I would say. Um, you know, what you hear every day from the news is rents are going up and issues at the landlord and tenant board. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's a lot more nuanced, and it's a lot more nuanced across the entire province. Um, with niche markets acting very independently. So um, what we're all about at Rent Panda is really helping steward the journey of small landlords and investors. Um, we're now across Ontario. We have regional leasing specialists and property management teams that help our client base. Um, and so we've actually gone from a pure tech model to tech-enabled real estate. Um, you know, we have our software that landlords can still use, all those DIYers who are finding and placing and managing their own tenants, and it's just a more consolidated way to do everything. Um, and over the last couple of years, we've done a lot in terms of servicing landlords on the ground. Uh, so leasing or tenant placement services, property management services, uh, we do paralegal services in-house now too. Um, we're developing landlord education platforms, and really the idea is as an investor, as a landlord, your journey doesn't stop. You know, you may start as a DIYer, but move into a more passive investment role. And as a brand, Rent Panda wants to be with you throughout your entire journey. Um, so we believe we can develop these partnerships, these long-standing relationships, and work with investors throughout their entire rental journey. That sounds like a dream come true, I have to say. It's interesting because when we talked originally, I don't know if you remember, it was during the pandemic, and the point of the conversation was just to check in to see how businesses were doing in general. And here you were starting to flourish. And, you know, we were talking about just the tech. And, you know, we had all these ideas that we talked about and, you know, all, all those things. And here you are, you've seemed like you're, you're, you're expanding a lot. And you've really kind of settled into a niche that is an excellent product for both renters, but Specifically, I would say landlords. I would say that it's an easy, like, like the easy button for landlords. Yeah, for sure. And, and what we've learned over the last seven years, but really in the last three, 
was that there are different landlords at different stages of their journey. And at the start, we thought, you know, let's build some tech, let's be everything to everyone because everyone needs technology. Um, and we very quickly learned that we were wrong um, and that there was landlords at each step of this journey. And really the, the hole in the market was a brand experience for those investors to carry through with them. You know, most people were entering into the market. They were doing a lot of research and a lot of education when it came to investing. Um, but then when it came to actually renting, you know, they were left to the wild west. They would find their own technology or not use any at all. They would typically just rely on realtors who, you know, are focusing on buying and selling homes, not leasing homes, or they would be left with property management companies and typically old school property management companies that were very regionalized, that were doing things the old school way that may not be up to speed on the newest technologies that can keep landlords safe and maximize their returns. Um, so for us, it was really about creating a brand that went above just leasing or just property management or just technology and supporting landlords throughout that rental journey. Um, and day in, day out, we kind of fight the stigma of, hey, you're a property manager, right? Or you're a property management company. And yes, we do property management, um, but we don't label ourselves as property management as a property management company because lots of landlords don't want property managers they just want help leasing and some just need paralegal support and some just want some education um so that's that's really what our journey has been about it's the the re-education of what a rental company can be um, and my background is in branding and advertising so it's really exciting to develop a brand that can stand for renting you know we are the rental experts um, and whatever that means for you as a landlord we probably have a product or service for it and if we don't we know someone that does so we'll, we'll pitch you over to them that makes a lot of sense because when i think about our clients from the real estate side of things that are looking for uh, help with rentals they don't want to invest into a full property management let's call it a scheme because quite frankly some of them can be schemes right but it just seems overwhelming to them okay there's a high cost and when, when you know the cost of buying assets these days is so expensive interest rates are high there's really not a lot of room left over to pay somebody else so they end up trying to do it all by themselves and in many cases they ended up not liking the process because of the problems associated with it. And, you know, everyone talks about the bad apple rather than the good apples. And, you know, I think there's a lot more good apples than, than bad apples. But <clears throat> this becomes the cycle of the real estate investment world, right? Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you would have a sort of options, I guess, you know, help with the rent. Okay, you can post our your your listing on our site for free, I believe. You can do an upgrade with that and syndicate it to different websites, marketplace, things like that. Yep. And then you can upgrade to, um, I would say there's, you probably have services like finding um, credit checks, things yep. like that. So why don't you just go through the kind of different yep. levels if you can? For sure. So um, in, in our marketing brains, we've aligned the products and services in three main levels, I would say. Um, so the first is the software, right? It's for those do-it-yourself landlords who, you know, either are new or just want to do it themselves in a more efficient way, and they may have a small or large portfolio. Um, and that's a marketplace where you can post your property. Like you said, you can just pay a la carte to syndicate to other platforms, but posting is free. Um, you can message tenants, book showings, build your leases all for free. 
And when it comes to um, screening tenants, you can again purchase a la carte screening tools, credit checks, background checks, income verification, ID verification. Um, and so it's really just meant to be a one-stop shop where you don't have to go out to multiple systems. Um, and then when you place that tenant, we've got some, I would say property management software light services. Uh, so you can you know, send tenants notices, message them, do your filings, um, but really it's, it's about tenant placement. And we always say to landlords, regardless of what service they opt into, finding the perfect tenant is really the key. It will make management that much easier, whether you're doing it yourself or we are. Um, so that's the first tier of service is the software, mostly free with some a la carte um, pieces that you can tack on essentially. The second tier is now become a, uh, the bread and butter of our service. Um, over 70, 75% of all of our business is in this second tier, which is leasing, right? Tenant placement. And over the last three years, the, the state of the market, I would say, is what has pushed people to, to opt into this service. You know, it's in Ontario, it's scarier than ever to place a tenant because a bad tenant can cost you tens of thousands. You know, you can't get tenants out once they're in if you try to get them out. Um, and there are lots of tools and special tactics that you can take to make screening tenants and finding tenants um, more of a process, more of a, um, you know, lowering that risk that, that you're going to be taking on as a landlord. And the risk threshold can get very, very low. So that leasing service is all about hiring the leasing specialists to do it for you. We would start the process with a walkthrough of the property. We give you an accurate rent assessment for what your property can actually rent for. We talk about tenant profiles. We take photos and videos of the unit. And then we market the property across multiple platforms. You know, we're not just posting on RentPanda. We're posting on Facebook Marketplace, on local Facebook groups, on Kijiji, Rentals.ca, Zumper, PadMapper. You know, we now can post out to the MLS as well. Um, so it's really about showcasing the property to as many people as possible and then pre-screening people so that we're not doing 200 showings, we're pre-qualifying tenants. Um, then one key feature for that leasing service is that our leasing specialists are actually gonna be on the ground for every single showing. Um, not to say anything bad about realtors or the way that they do leasing, but typically they'll put a lockbox on and a tenant realtor will be able to bring their client through. And as the landlord realtor, you may never actually meet that tenant in person. Um, and as a landlord, you know, especially you won't meet them. So what we do is we qualitatively analyze these applicants who are coming through to get a sense of how they are as humans, right? As people, you know, do they arrive on time to their showing? If they're running late, do they call you to let you know? You know, do they take off their shoes when they come in? Do they smell okay? Or, you know, are they covered in pet dander, which may allude to them having pets, which isn't a bad thing, but it's transparency. Um, you know, how do they look when they come in? Are they presented well? Are they like coming for an interview versus just, you know, coming in in whatever sweats they had on when they left the house? So all of these qualitative metrics are incredibly important. Um, and especially in this day and age when there's a lot of fraudulent documentation that we'll talk about in a second, analyzing someone qualitatively is really important. You know, it, it especially sets the tone for you as an investor to place someone that you're comfortable with managing if you're managing it yourself. Because some people just have biases and they're more comfortable with certain people versus others. So you wanna make sure that you meet someone, you know, you see the whites of their eyes and you can analyze them qualitatively. So we do all of that. And then the quantitative checks. So um, we've actually partnered with Single Key now and we've pulled some data to show 
the, the quantitative quality of tenants in this market. Um, it's been getting a little bit worse over the last quarter or so. A uh, lot more collections reported, a lot more bankruptcies, lower credit scores. Um, but the most surprising thing is that the number of fraudulent documentation, or the number of fraudulent applications, I should say, um, has been going through the roof. We used to see like 1% to 2% of all applications being fraudulent in some way. Um, that number is up to 6.5%, 7%. So if you think about that number climbing, we may be at 10% of all applications that you receive being fraudulent in very short order. So what we do is we pull all of our own checks and do all of our own screening directly. So credit checks and background checks are pulled directly. There's no reason to accept you know, a PDF or a screenshot of a credit report from an applicant. Um, you, can, you can pull it yourself, it's 100% foolproof, people can't manipulate it, do that, that's, that's the baseline. Um, you can then do income and expense verification, ID verification, checking Canly and Open Room, checking social media, doing Google searches, um, you know, calling past landlords, you could have cousin Jimmy pretending to be the landlord, but we actually cross-reference through Geo Warehouse to make sure that the owner is the owner and is who they say they are. Um, same thing with employment references. It's very easy to fake those, but if you dig deeper and actually search out the company and verify that employment reference and maybe even verify the pay stub amounts that are being deposited by doing an open bank check and seeing those deposits through the bank account, um, that's really, really important these days. So we do all of that as part of the leasing service. And then we put forward recommendations. The landlord can approve or deny them to their heart's content. Um, we, don't, we don't charge per round of recommendations or anything like that. It's just we're on board until the job is done. And then we build out all the lease documents, a bomb-proof lease appendix, and we actually have a paralegal on staff. So if we need to create custom clauses, we can do that. And then we finalize everything in a nice, neat package with digital signatures, guarantor forms, snow and lawn contracts if need be, um, you know, tenants insurance, proof of utility transfer, all of that is done. And then we hand that over to the landlord to self-manage. And so that's the full leasing service. That's, you know, a very thorough process. It's our middle tier. It's where everyone usually lands. Um, and it's kind of the gateway into understanding that there's professionalism that can come with, you know, finding tenants and doing this this rental uh, game that we, that we are in. Um, so that's the second tier. And then the third tier is full service property management. And so that's very similar to other property management companies out there. But to your point, property management is expensive at times. You know, you're shaving off a percentage to give to a property manager. And when you're doing your evaluation of, of your uh, you know, potential purchase, taking two, three, four, up to 10% in some markets of your, your bottom line and giving that to a property manager is hard to digest. So what we've done is, you know, we're, we're not going for a race to zero, essentially, but we thought a flat rate management fee makes more sense in this market um, because more expensive properties are not more expensive to manage. And it's actually usually the inverse. Um, and when your rent goes up, you're two and a half percent, or if you're not rent controlled, whatever you want, um, our job doesn't get harder. Our job doesn't fundamentally change. So we felt that flat rate pricing was the ethical and, and modest way of doing property management. Um, and then very transparently, we say to everyone in all of our clientele, we don't have property managers in every city in an office twiddling their thumbs ready to pop out to a property. What we do is we utilize a centralized team. We triage to verified trades within the region. So we've got a big Rolodex. Um, but in that way, you're not paying for a property manager to just sit in an office waiting for phone calls. Um, and also in that way, the property managers that we do have sitting in an office are highly trained 
were available 24-7, 365, and were able to build very strong partnerships with trades in the city um, to go out to the property when we need. And we also have our leasing team in the city if we ever just need you know, eyeballs on the ground. Um, and so our packages are completely adaptable based on landlord needs. You know, Some people don't want any inspection, but some people want monthly inspections or quarterly inspections. Um, and so anything, whether it's an inspection or a plumbing fix or a handyman visit, we price out, we send you a quote as the landlord, you approve that quote, and then we dispatch the trade or our internal team. So we're very, very um, open and transparent about how we price our system. It's flat rate management um, for the monthly fee. And then anything a la carte, we just quote out to you and, and you approve as needed. That sounds amazing. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a landlord and I don't see any reason why I wouldn't want to work with you. It just seems <laughs> easy, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's about choosing your tier. I mean, I'll, I'll say as a landlord myself, uh, we are micromanagers by by design, right? Everyone is very detail-oriented in micromanaging. Um, and it's just about where you fall in that spectrum. You know, do you want to do it all yourself? Do you want to relinquish control over tenant placement but still be on the approval end? Or are you ready for that fully passive approach? Um, but you're still approving everything that happens at the property. You're getting, you're getting your monthly reports. Um, so it's a little bit more of a, um, you know, a property management service for the micromanager, uh, whereas some people just say, manage it. I don't want to hear about it. You know, send me my annual report. Um, and we found that small landlords gravitate towards the micromanaging end of the spectrum. Yeah, 100% sounds way more professional than a lot of property management companies as is. And, and there are some good ones, but there's, I would say from a realtor perspective, I've met more bad ones than, than good ones. And that really reflects on us as realtors is who we refer to to uh, take over that. Right. And I've definitely I've had some clients that, you know, choose not to deal with me anymore because of that bad recommendation. Right. And it wasn't anything that I did. They were good. They just turned bad for some reason. Yeah. And what you say answers all the problems that I face as a realtor and as as a landlord as well. Mm -hmm. And. You know, it, it's not easy to find good tenants. We we do do that as a realtor, as you alluded to before. That, but it's not something that is common, and it, it kind of is becoming more common that you'll see them on Realtor.ca. Uh, but truthfully, most most realtors will handle the rental themselves. Mm -hmm. Most um, tenant agents don't really come in. It comes once in a while, mm -hmm. because the money is just not lucrative for them. Right. If they could, you know, spend the same amount of time showing a home that's going to net them a lot more money. Yeah. That's what they're going to choose to do. Right. Yeah. So, you know, even as a, as a renting um, specialist, or if you want to say that a realtor wouldn't be making more money. Right. So is their attention really on you? And it sounds like what you said, your attention is on that owner. Yeah. You know, you are face to face with the tenants, the, the stuff that you go through to find the right tenant sounds incredible. So I'll tell you this story. We have a, an agent on our team. He prefers rentals, actually. Uh, he just he's a, he's a landlord himself. That's what yeah. he's done uh, his previous career, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, before he became a real estate agent. And so he just knows that business, very comfortable with it. And he, I say, listen, man, you can't take blood from every single tenant. It's just not fair. You know, you're not going to get tenants if you're going to ask them for all this stuff. 
Right. Uh, and he puts them through a lot. And, you know, I would say that you put them through as much as he does. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we have open conversations with all of our clientele that uh, we may, we would rather lose a tenant versus not have, um, you know, 100% certainty and security. So a good example is credit checks. You know, people will say, will come to us and say, hey, I've got my Equifax report. I pulled it a month ago. I don't want to ding my credit again, right? And so we will send through a recommendation with conditional approval based on that, that old Equifax report. But we will say, unless you pull a new report and we will pull it directly, we have no guarantee that this isn't fraudulent. So we would rather lose that tenant because they say, screw it, I don't want to go through another credit check versus not have that full credit check pulled by ourselves. So our clientele needs to understand that that's the case, that that's how we do business, you know, and we don't want to, to tarnish that reputation by six months down the line realizing this person had fraudulent documentation and now they've stopped paying rent and it's going to take you nine to 12 months to get them out of the property, let alone collect the arrears. So, you know, thankfully we've had a very good success rate with placing tenants, but we are very um, diligent with what we ask. We follow process and yeah, we're, we're tough on a lot of tenants and, you know, in Toronto, it may be normal and people may be willing to give up everything and anything, um, but we operate in a lot of small towns where that's not as common, right? We do a lot of business in Welland and St. Catharines and Hamilton and Thunder Bay and Sudbury, um, let alone, you know, Guelph Kitchener or Waterloo is, is hot market in comparison. Um, so we, we want to make sure that our clientele understands that we will lower the risk threshold to the absolute minimum, but we may lose some, some clients along or some tenants along the way. Um, and it's just, you know, it's about the brand experience. It's about the security of, um, of our clientele. Um, and it's really the only way to do it that we see as the safe way to landlord. Um, yeah, it's just what we've learned in the last eight years. <laughs> yeah. And there's such a need, like when you come, we talk about fraudulent documentation, that is crazy. We even see it when in purchases and, and yep. we can spot it and mortgage brokers are, are pretty good at spotting that stuff too. But holy smokes, like, I want to know who these people are that are, it's their job, I guess, to create fraudulent documents or something. Yep. And they're pretty, yeah. pretty real looking, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, now in this market, in the last year, there's been companies that have sprung up to create this fraudulent package for renters to the point of creating fake company websites and LinkedIn accounts for the company that's listed, you know, along with fake pay stubs, which is easy, you know, there's actually backup proof to these fake companies now. Um, so it's becoming more and more difficult, but you know, when someone provides a fake pay stub with a fake company, it's really easy to see that it's fake. If you pull their direct and not just ask for bank statements, but pull their direct banking information, which we can do through an open bank check. And you see that in the last 12 months, they don't have a deposit, you know, that aligns with this pay stub. So no matter how fraudulent or how tricky people get, when you go direct to the source, you can't get around that. And that's just where, you know, we actually work with a lot of brokerages and a lot of agents. I'm actually in one of our partner brokerages offices right now. Um, that's where we want to come in and help at the beginning, right? We want to train realtors who want to do it themselves on how to spot these things. Um, we want to make them understand the work that it goes into both on the tenant and landlord side, you know, screening people appropriately. Um, and in doing so, you know, it's a little bit of a sales pitch for us because most realtors go, 
holy crap, that's a lot of work to do. Can you just do it for me? I'd rather have the good experience for my client versus you know the 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 1,500 bucks, whatever it is. Um, and it's becoming more and more acute. You know, as rents go up and as inventory dwindles, the you know tenants tenants will work harder to make sure that they can get their foot in the door. So I'd say the onus is on us now to work harder to make sure that our clientele is safe. Well, that's just it too, is people don't realize that working with tenants is literally the wild, wild west. There is no rules or structure to deal with these kind of things where when you're buying and selling a house uh, with a realtor, we have a code of ethics that we have to follow. And, you know, we still have fraudulent things happen because human beings tend to, you know, want to go to the gray area of things. And, you know, when you have money involved, people want to make more money. So they find ways of, you know, circumventing the system. But there is disciplinary actions that goes with that, right? You can lose your license. Rentals, there's nothing. There's really no govern governing body that can slap you on the risk, wrist. Sorry, there's you know the police aren't going to get involved with this kind of stuff. So you need somebody that is going to do the heavy lifting so that you don't get stuck with one of those tenants and be on the news. You know, having not had rent being paid for the last six months and being stuck, not being able to get to the to the LTB for your case, right? And, and I think, you know, the, the same is true on the flip side. You know, we deal with a lot of first-time landlords or seasoned landlords who had been doing it kind of the old school way for a very long time successfully before some legislation started to come, you know, to fruition, right? Um, and so a lot of what we do also when we onboard landlord clientele is educate them through the process of what is and isn't allowable, what is and isn't enforceable at the LTB. Um, we've seen countless lease appendices with completely illegal or unenforceable clauses in them. Um, and also, you know, setting our clients up for success to say, if we spend all of this time and effort and money finding a good tenant, maintaining that good tenant and maintaining that relationship through management of the property is really important um, because it's not a set it and forget it type of business. Uh, the best landlords will continue to invest in the relationship with their tenants it will yield positive ROI. You know, their property will be in better shape. It will maintain its value. Finding the next tenant will be easier and faster at higher market rents. Um, And so going through this education process is part of what we do, not even just formally on the education side, but for any of our clientele at any of those kind of service offerings, we want to have open conversations about best practices and how to guide people to be successful landlords. Um, Because ultimately, you know, we want to do it, but selfishly, good landlords become good investors and good investors grow their portfolio and then they come back to us to do more work with them. So I think that there's a win-win across the board if we all just realize that, you know, the industry is very underdeveloped still, right? That from an education, from a service, from a product perspective, Canada is still in its infancy when it comes to rentals. So there's a lot of improvement that we can all do together if we're just willing to invest in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things to talk about when it, when it comes to rentals, right? Yeah. And it's just really exacerbated by the housing crisis, like I, I said at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, and you actually said it a couple of minutes ago where the circumstances are forcing people to do things they may not normally do because they just don't have a place to live. Yeah. Okay, I'm not, I've been turned down 17 times for properties 
and I can only afford $2,500, but rent is $3,000 a month for X place, I'm going to do something so that I can get that property. And then I'll worry about the, it after that, right? Yeah. And it, it's it, something needs to be done. And it sounds like you guys are doing, uh, uh, taking a big chunk of that worry away for a landlord. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's two sides of the coin, right? It's one side is tenants need to protect themselves and landlords need to protect themselves. And I think that there's a win-win where, you know, there may be a perfect place for everyone out there. Um, you know, housing affordability is a whole nother topic for hours and hours of discussion, but there is a massive opportunity when it comes to the world of investment to fill the middle market, essentially, because most people get into properties, they renovate and they renovate for, you know, their refi. And they're not necessarily renovating for the tenants in the market that can, um, that are out there to afford their property. And, you know, we see a lot of quartz countertops and stainless steel everything and, you know, perfect, um, you know, new laundry machines and, and the top end rental. And the reality is, is yes, top end rentals do attract top end tenants, but there is not an endless supply of absolutely top end tenants and B plus tenants in B markets may be very lucrative investments. Um, and so you need to kind of align the inventory that you're producing as an investor to the tenant population that's there and then align your screening practice. So, you know, we see people, and, and with single key, we did this, you know, the average credit score out there right now over 2023 was I think around 660, 670. Um, most landlords don't wanna consider that kind of credit score. But when you look at that as the average, you know, those are the tenants who need housing. Um, and then those tenants end up coming to these places that are out of their price range and try and, you know, fit in more people, right? They may be looking at, non-traditional family units, get a friend involved, get, you know, their parents to come live with them. But then from a landlord perspective, you don't want too many people in your house. And so the, the wants and the needs are not matching up. And I think there's, you know, in 2024, 2025, we don't know exactly when, but there's going to be a point when the market needs to balance out because the, the top end of the tenant market is housed, right? There's enough inventory to go around for them. It's really this middle market that's missing out on all of the opportunities because you know it's not sexy to go and renovate a house and do a duplex and put laminate countertops and no dishwasher and shared coin laundry um, but those are the types of units that we see in in very high demand so um, maybe that's my little like tip and trick but you know as a personal investor that's what i want to invest in is the the areas that are in need from a housing perspective and i mean you, you were talking about doing the same years ago in terms of creating affordable housing for those who need to so I think uh, we're probably on the same page on that front. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's there's a huge demand. Yeah, on the radical housing side of things, we've um, been able to find a system that, that works. Still like you, you know, it, we're still finding exactly how to make it uh, work. Yeah. Uh, but we've had some really good stories come out of that. You know, the one we're working on right now is a... So from the homeowner perspective, there are a lot of people out there that with increased mortgage rates, they can't afford their home anymore. So what's their option? Sell and then go rent and pay $3,000 a month for rent. So even in, if they had $400,000 of equity, that's going to be burned in 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And these people can't refinance. In, in this case, it's a single mother, one income. So what are you going to get with a single income these days unless it's, yeah. you know, three, $400,000, right? Yeah. Um, so she's making, you know, uh, a single income 
mother income, and, but she has $400,000 of equity in her home. So what we did is we stepped in there, we did her basement apartment. Instead of funding it ourselves like we can do, we found a partner who is happens to be a, a realtor colleague of mine who was able to use her uh, RRSPs to fund that through a, um, a self-directed RSP yeah. mortgage in the second mortgage. And so it's just bringing the community together to find solutions. And now what she's doing is she's getting her getting an income from that basement apartment, but she's also providing a place for somebody to live. Yeah. And again, we're not doing stainless steel and granite countertops, although I think I'd like to do it in this one. It's because it's a really nice space. She really has a, a really good layout in, in this particular basement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a win-win for everybody, right? And if more people do this, then the housing crisis will slowly be re reduced. And the other thing to that is to have good tenants in that, that whole process. And one of the things that we found when we were uh, contemplating, you know, putting our hat in the race, so to speak, to, to help affordable housing we did interviews to, of people around the community, and one of the biggest things was we don't want those people as tenants. There are too many issues with tenants. You know, we've heard all these stories. They destroy the place, and you know the drill, right? Yeah. So if you can have a property manager come in and look after it in a seamless, responsible way, you know, with checks and balances along, along the way, yeah. I think that's a win-win. And, you know, we looked at single key before as well. We we're, we work at a much slower pace than you. I, I, I sell real estate as my main job and uh, my partner owns a restaurant. So you can tell we don't. And he has five kids. So <laughs> there's not a lot of time to really go uh, full tilt on this. Yeah. But we could, as a company, use your service quite easily, you know, yeah, and, sure. uh, you know, provide, you know, everybody that assurance that the tenants are going to be great. And I think that's where you know we've we've excelled over the last couple of years with strategic partnerships, right? And and whether that's with individual landlords, brokerages, other companies that are involved in the space, um, because I really truly feel like the um, the opportunity that exists over the past couple of years and in the next couple of years is only going to come to fruition when more people get involved, right? Because no one is. Well, maybe aside from us and a couple of other companies, no one is fully in this rental game, like you just said. But if there are, you know, twenty percent of everyone's mind playing into the same sphere and helping push the industry forward, we'll get to a place with kind of the allied powers <laughs> in in a much quicker way um, and start to kind of move the needle. And, and I think to your point beforehand about no, you know, regulatory body for rentals, right? You've got Aurea hanging over your head from a, a buy and sell perspective, but why is there no true governing body when it comes to, you know, applications for rental properties or proper screening? Um, like what is, you know, there's no one document that everyone has to fill out as a tenant to apply for a place or to go through um, proper screening. There's no repercussions for fraudulent documentation unless it gets really, really bad. There's been a couple cases reported to the police and they did something about it. Um, so I think, you know, this, this allied force that can move the needle is definitely needed. And, and we can get to a point that makes what is a very difficult rental market in Ontario for landlords right now, from a safety perspective, 
a lot more consistent with other provinces, other places in the world. Um, we're just a little bit of a laggard with some old policy that was in place to try and protect tenants and landlords that did a, you know, a, kind of a one-sided job, I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting too because when you start getting legislation in there, governments really don't know what they're doing. It tends to screw things up, you know. So it's like a, a, a catch twenty-two. We need it, but you know, it, what's it going to do to screw things up? Yeah, and that's what got us so you know, empowered to support small landlords. You know, when my brother and I started this company eight years ago now, we were looking at the data, right? You know, we had an idea and we went, does the data support this idea that we have to support small landlords with the technology? And we hadn't even thought about the services. And when you look at the data across all of Canada, back then it was 68% of all rental housing in the country was provided by small landlords, as they called it. And so the majority of the housing is provided by these mom and pops who have basement units and single family homes and duplexes and triplexes. It's not the massive towers run by property management companies and, you know, hedge funds in Toronto. Um, it's about supporting the small landlords in their journey. And these small landlords we see day in, day out just making the same mistakes because there's no, you know, institutional knowledge or traditional knowledge about landlording that's passed down. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, it's, it's ripe for change and there's a ton of opportunity in the market right now. Yeah, ab absolutely. And we, you know, you mentioned, you know, it takes almost like it takes a village, right? Mentality. And part of the solution is to get more people involved in, you know, whether it's opening up their own home by doing a basement apartment or an ADU in the backyard, in the backyard or buying some investment properties. If there is something in place that makes it easy to find and manage tenants, more people would be willing to do that. Sure. Right now, there are a lot of people that might be wanting to step into the game, but they're not going to do it because it's really scary. You know, when you turn on the news, and that's what I talked about at the beginning, a lot of people are talking about this. You know, you open up YouTube or Facebook or your newspaper if you still get that. You know, you're hearing about this case where the tenant didn't pay the rent and they can't get kicked out. They destroyed the place. That's what people are hearing. So hell no, I'm not being a landlord. Therefore, I'm not contributing to the housing stock yeah. and will be in continually in this, this, having this problem with, you know, which is a supply and demand issue. Yeah. There's way too much demand and way far too little supply. Right. So and, you know, going back to radical housing, when we were thinking about it, I thought about that for years mm -hmm. and I never did anything about it with the sole reason I'm just one person. Right. What can I do? Right. And I said, you know what? Enough is enough. If we create six of these, then that's more than we had before. Yep. Right. But imagine if there are, you know, thousands of people like me that can do six. That's 6,000 units, Yep. right? For sure. And, and I think that's, you know, some people may say that's not going to solve the issue and, and they're looking for a solution. And I don't think that there's a solution. And, that, you know, I know you feel the same way, right? It, it's, it's a collective, right? It has to be small landlords playing into it. There has to be a government approach to it. There has to be an acknowledgement from the large developers and the large property managers um, to all play into alleviating the housing crisis that exists um, but it's also very difficult as a small landlord to play a part when you know other people in the community aren't willing to accept it 
um, we had a you know a, a house in our neighborhood that we were looking at and in the short term it could have been a triplex and in the long term it could have been three triplexes on those single plot of land um, but looking at what had happened over the last year in the neighborhood there was absolutely no way that we were going to get any kind of approval for that type of structure um, and the sad reality is, it's, you know, it was close to a subway and transit. It was a great area for rentals in terms of value and property value. Um, but, you know, the nimbyism just wasn't going to allow it. And we could have tripled, I mean, from right now, it was a single family home. So we could have more than tripled the density of a single plot of land um, and really helped alleviate a little bit of that. Um, but unless there's a collective understanding and a collective approach, uh, it's going to be very difficult. But I totally agree that you know so many people just don't go into it because they're scared of tenants, and unfortunately, good tenants don't make good news stories, right? No, they don't. Some, this guy paid his rent on time for the last yeah. six months. Exactly. Yeah, my tenant was open to a rent increase because they love everything that we've put into the property. Like, there's no stories of that, and so these you know the, the bottom one percent rise to the top because they make good news stories. Um, and I was actually talking to an Uber driver this morning about, you know, rents and, and they were saying, oh, rent's been going through the roof. And I said, you know, in Toronto, rents have been going up consistently, but rents going through the roof sounds like a really good headline. But when we look at the rental data, and we actually just launched our rent report, which we do quarterly yesterday. Um, so if you go on Rent Panda, you can now see accurate data of rent increases. Um, Ontario only saw a 3.3 increase over all of 2023. Um, as compared to 2022. So there was markets that went up, there was markets that went down. Um, Q4, a lot of markets went down that weren't reported on. Um, and so rent increases are happening, but they're happening acutely and dramatically in Toronto. So if you've got investment property in Kingston or Thunder Bay or Windsor, you're, you're absorbing information from the media that just isn't accurate, and it may be actually affecting your investment decisions. Um, so I, I think that there's, again, like on the... The data front there's an opportunity for proper data suppliers to come to the rental market and provide more accurate data that can help investors that can help realtors um, and that can kind of change the nature of the conversation a little bit because um, i you know i love doing these talks but i wish that there was a you know a cbc article about these things that could get to a large number of people because i think that would push more people into the world of investment if there was some more you know, positive stories about um, creating good good quality housing that is affordable to tenants and not talking affordable housing, but just relatively affordable housing that still makes people money and it can be a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, when it comes to house, like rents in houses, you can ask, you know, $10,000 for a one bedroom. You're not going to get it, right. right? So there is a threshold based on what people can afford and it's the same same thing that is true for when a person's going to buy a house. They might want that million dollar house, but they just can't afford it. The bank says no, right? And so, you know, a place like Guelph, as an example, I've noticed it too, where, you know, we were able to easily get, you know, $3,500, $4,000 for a single detached house. Um, maybe not even the whole house, maybe just the upper floors of that. And now I'm seeing that, you know, 2700 2800 for the top floor of, of a bungalow. And so it's gone down a little bit yeah. because that tier that you talked about, the, the, the small tier that can afford rent, that want the stainless steel appliances, the nice kitchen, they've found their places. Yeah. 
but what is needed is that middle ground, yeah. you know, where, where most people can afford, right? The guy that's working, you know, at Linamar here in Guelph yep. that might be taking home forty or $50,000, which is, to me, sounds still like a lot of money, but in reality, it's, it's not a lot anymore. Yeah. And I, I think Guelph is a perfect example of, you know, how the rent roller coaster evolved over the last three years. You know, it remained relatively stable with stable increases up until 2020, 2021. You know, one blog TO article came out about how Guelph is the best place to move to from Toronto during the pandemic. And like within three months of that article, rent started to go through the roof. And I remember when, you know, a three bedroom townhouse in Guelph was 26, 2700 standard, you know, every day. And then it creeped up to 3000 and then it creeped up to 3250. It's like, what is going on here? And it was people with, you know, Toronto jobs working remotely. They were making $150,000, $200,000. And they came into the market and went, well, the same thing in Toronto costs $6,000 a month. $3,500 to steal, sure, I'll pay it and I'll just outbid everyone. And so we saw this massive spike. And it's taken a while for it to come back and, and level out. But I think now it's back in this healthier, I would say, market where, yeah, there's going to be a top end, but that top end is not super micro niche. And, you know, it's relatively affordable. I mean, Guelph is still an expensive market to rent in, um, but there's inventory across the board. Um, and I mean, the number of Linamar applications we saw, right, from just hardworking Guelphites, but that they, they turned um, kind of non-traditional, right? They had to put four or five unrelated people in a home and then that caused issues with the landlord insurance. Um, it created the spiral effect where like housing became unaffordable for people living and working in Guelph. Um, so it, it, it was a market that I'm glad kind of came back to, you know, high end, but more stable high end. Um, and I think that's where if you read the news, it would just say rents keep going up and keep going up, but they're not. So misguided investors may still be buying that three bedroom house or four bedroom house thinking they can get 4,000 or 4,200 for it. When in reality, they're down in that 3,000 range and then they're pissed because they're bleeding money every month. Yeah. And that's a tool that realtors can use too. Yep. It, you know, it is harder to get data mm -hmm. to know what the true rents are, you know, and a lot of realtors might be tempted to say, oh, well, you can get $3,600 for this bungalow. Right. And that may have been true at some point, but it's actually not true. So you're not doing the best. Uh, you're not giving your client the best information. So if you have access to real numbers, yeah. you, you know, you're advising your client in the way that you should be advising them with, with true factual numbers. Yeah. It's interesting that um, student rental market, though, is something that's completely different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And people don't understand the difference with that. You know, here in Guelph now, people are paying $1,000 a room, which is insane. And I, I do think that's going to change a bit, though, because I think I heard that there was an announcement that uh, foreign students, they're going to cap the number of foreign students. And Conestogo is also in Guelph. They were building a another campus downtown, which was to add 5,000 new students. So where are those students going to go. I'm wondering if that has changed at, at all, you know, with, in terms of be, being this new, I'll call it legislation that, that caps it. I don't know, but hopefully it comes down a little bit. I feel so bad for these students. Yeah. You know, so, we don't charge that for ours. 
Um, but I, you know, at some points when I look at my mortgage statement, I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's, it's definitely a very new um, set of rules or regulations that are starting to come down. Um, I'll say from a pricing perspective, you know, to that allied powers uh, working together, you know, we actually worked with a company called Door Insight. They're our official data provider now. Um, and because we couldn't do it ourselves, right? We couldn't, didn't have the resources to aggregate all this data. But now through them and, and anyone that works with us, and you can go to Door Insight, you can put in an actual property and it can give you a real time rent assessment. So those student rentals that are going for a thousand bucks a room are very evident when you see the reports that are being generated. Um, and we've rented them out you know, day in, day out from 850 to 1100 even a room. Um, but I would say that, you know, Guelph is definitely an acute <laughs> uh, problem when it comes to student rentals. But across the board, you know, the, the cap on the number of students um, that are being put on by the government is possibly a good thing. You know, it was because it was reactionary because a lot of these students were being unhoused. We heard students who were, you know, not room sharing, but bed sharing. We had people in motels. We had people who were, you know, homeless. Like Toronto had a homeless issue of students, you know, around Ryerson. Um, but the cap will help. But at the same time, um, you know, there's there's opportunity because the universities have now been mandated to provide housing to students. Um, so I think that there's going to be more of an initiative to find proper housing for these students, whether it's on campus with you know, registered or designated off-campus housing providers. And I personally also think that small landlords have a, a you know, a, a piece of this puzzle that they can have an opportunity. And then, you know, I'm personally invested in student rentals, and I think it's a massive opportunity, not just for the $1,000 of room that you just quoted, um, but really to build purpose-built student rentals, whether they are on the large scale like dorms or on the smaller scale with boarding houses or on the very small scale of, you know, just traditional units. Um, I think catering to the student market is something that investors can yield positive ROI from, but also really help with an acute problem right now. So I think we're, we're almost too early to see what's going to happen because I think things are really only going to take effect moving into like summer and, and September, right? Because right now everyone's got their rentals, right? Students, especially in Guelph, students look for their rentals in like October, November for their next year. Um, most other cities, you know, it's, it's December and January. So students have their housing locked up now. New students coming to the country over the summer looking to enroll for their September cohort, that's going to be where things are problematic because there's just not housing available. Um, so if we can pivot quickly, if we can you know, create some housing, if we can create partnerships with universities and colleges, um, the institutions, I think, have a great uh, position because they can help lobby the government for the appropriate zoning changes that are needed for more boarding houses, as an example. So I think we're kind of at the very, very start of whatever is going to happen. Uh, but again, I, I go to this nature of if we can all band together, you know, small landlords, big institutions, the, the educational institutions and the government, uh, there can be a solution that can be put in place relatively quickly. Yeah, we all have a role to play in that 100%. Yeah, for sure. Going back to students and uh, Gabriel, the guy that works with me that, yep. that I mentioned earlier, he uh, was renting out a student rental for one of his clients and uh, he arranged it so that they would all show up on a Saturday afternoon between two and four. Yep. So he had, I think, 40 groups of students yep. lined up 
outside. Yep. And so I, I popped over to help him out with that and he'd take a group, I'd take a group. But one of the things that we had fun with just to sort out, you know, because how are you supposed to choose a group when there's, you know, so many of them. So what we had them do is um, a couple of different things that, you know, we had a process that they had to follow. So if they followed the process, that's definitely a check, you know, certain documents to fill out and things like that. But to have some fun with us and for them, what we did is we sort of, we made this room upstairs. It it was the bathroom on the top floor where we purposely made some things wrong and asked them to point out what the problems with this room are and put that in their application. And so it was, you know, it's interesting out of those 40 groups, there was five that responded fully. And so tell, talk about a way of weeding people out by making them do these certain things. And the group that got it, they filled everything out perfectly. And, you know, that tells you a little bit about their character. Yep. So it goes to, you know, it kind of reminds me of what you guys do, except I'm certain you do more than us. And maybe you don't do that little, you know, find what's wrong trick. But <laughs> at the end of the day, um, it really matters when you to find the right tenant. Right. And you have to find unique ways of doing it because they learn pretty fast what to do, what to say. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I've learned the people that know the answers, they're actually not the best tenants either. Right. Right. So yeah. I may steal that little uh, tactic because that's. Yeah, it, it was fun. I have to tell you, just to just to watch. And then, you know, they get involved in things like that. Oh, what about this? What about that? Is yeah. it this? Yeah. And I think the the screening of students is something that a lot of a lot of people struggle with because, you know, credit checks don't matter really. <laughs> you know, money in the bank doesn't. They don't have money most of the time. Yeah, matter. So it's about the guarantors. It's about the qualitative elements, like you said. You know, can you identify an issue so that when there is a leak and there is going to be one, they can actually call you up and say, Andrew, there's a leak. We got to fix it. Um, so I think that's really important. And then especially when you get to the international student market, it becomes another niche group, which is not so niche anymore, that has different criteria for approval, right? They're not going to have guarantors, but they may have money coming from abroad. They're all coming with some GIC uh, money sitting in that account. You know, most of them are going to have part-time jobs. And so it's a different framework of screening. And, you know, some landlords have been making money for 30 years on international students alone, right? And, and really niching themselves in that way. But for a new investor, it feels scary because it's a whole different ballgame from a typical you know, tenant with a job. Yeah, you reminded me of a very good point that we were thinking of before when we were you know, in, initializing radical housing. And it came down to education. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the education that there are students and not, the, it, it's, the education of a tenant, whether you are a Canadian, an international student, a brand new tenant, or one that's been renting your whole life. When you educate them about the process, you know, what makes a good tenant? You know, know, some people, believe it or not, they just don't know. They don't know that turning on music at midnight full blast is going to bother the neighbors, you know, the tenants upstairs. It's just the way that they were brought up. You know, we had um, I had a, a client who told me about this. I wasn't involved in it, but he was describing the repairs that he had to do on his rental property. And it was all because the tenants didn't know that the shower curtain goes on the inside of the bathtub. Right. 
right? So they were showering and, and the water was pouring out all over the bathtub floor yep. and they couldn't figure it out. Yep. Or we had one where uh, a client of ours called us up and asked us for, you know, some help because the, the sink was clogged. Yep. Well, why was it clogged? Because the tenants didn't know where to put the grease. They put it down the sink. Right. So just educational stuff. And the county of Wellington, before COVID, had started a, a, a project to educate tenants. I don't know what happened with it. I haven't followed up with it. Maybe you you know, um, but I thought it was a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. We, we as actually, long as it's free. Yeah. We, um, we had some meetings with the county um, about the, the education. Um, I'm not sure if the program died completely or if it just had such low enrollment that it didn't really go anywhere. Um, but those were in our naive early days where we said, hey, we can educate everyone and let's partner with all the municipalities. Um, but I, I completely agree. And especially, you know, I'm personally invested in international student housing. And the, the shower comment resonates with me because we, we so actively look to educate new students and new students of the country about how to use a bathroom, right? And, and a lot of... You know, especially um, you know Southeast Asian and Indian students coming over, they're used to wet rooms, right? And so you can get a bathroom floor completely wet because there's a central drain and it all flows in, right? The shower is in the same space as the toilet. And so they're not being malicious in any way. They're not being negligent. It's just cultural differences in construction. Um, so we've actually looked to build some units that have wet rooms, knowing that they're going to be specifically for international student housing. Um, but yeah, if, if you don't have purpose-built units, then you need to educate and constantly reinforce how to care for a home and who to call if anything looks wrong and what wrong looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here's the next segment in your business that you can focus on. <laughs> this educational piece, mm -hmm. it's just a course that you provide, you do your videos, tenants have to watch it. And at the end of it, they get a certification that they are, they've passed the good tenant course. And that is just another checkpoint that allows them to get further ahead on the list yeah. in a very competitive market. For sure. And it benefits the landlord. There you go. <laughs> you can do that this, this week and do all your little uh, videos and set up your course. Yeah, done. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Listen, Hart, um, we're getting close to the hour. Actually, yeah. it's been an hour and one minute. There we go. Perfect. Um, it's funny, all of the conversations I have tend to be one hour long. I don't know, it just seems to be what the, the time frame that people love to talk. Yeah. Um, and I could talk all day. There's so many different issues that we can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I thank you for your time. I know you're really busy. And I thank you for your efforts in building a company. Ultimately, you know, people build it to make income. I get that. But you have a heart uh, for the business itself. And that's you know, your origin story where you found a problem that you wanted to solve. So I thank you for, you know, the last eight years of, you know, developing this and continuing to develop it. Is there anything that you'd want to say to the audience that's watching this as sort of closing remarks? Yeah, I mean, I, well, first off, thank you for the, the thank you. I think, uh, you know, we've had conversations years ago and just having that type of support over the years has been really beneficial. You know, running a small company is, is not an easy task. And oftentimes you get disillusioned with why you're doing it. Um, but I think, you know, sticking true to the vision of the company to support small landlords 
and enable landlording to happen for more people is, is really what we're trying to do. So your support and, and having me on and uh, talking to more people, getting, getting the word out is really important. Um, I think the only thing to say to anyone listening who is a landlord or consider being a landlord or considering getting into the space is that conversations are worth having, right? And, and I'm never too busy to have a conversation. We have an amazing team who loves to educate landlords and just have open conversations. You know, we've found clientele and helped clientele who just started to talk about what their goals are, what they're looking for, and creating more of that mentality that it's possible, that landlording can be for everyone. Um, I think that's what will help solve the issues that we're all facing. Um, it can be lucrative, it can be, you know, a path towards long-term generational wealth, um, but it can also be something very rewarding in the moment and, and it shouldn't be scary. So stop reading those CBC articles, stop listening to the news, talk to the people involved in the industry, um, you know, go out to meetings, get involved in, in investment groups, talk to realtors who know what they're doing, um, and just give us a shout, you know, if you go on RentPanda and you shoot an email to hello at RentPanda, you know, I'm answering them all. <laughs> uh, so I've kind of put that mandate out as founder and CEO to always be available for, you know, the, the incoming cohort of new landlords, helping steward that education piece. Um, we've got the operations set, we've got our system set, we have an amazing team. So talking to people is what I love to do. Um, so just reach out and let's talk. Awesome. Thanks again, Hart. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll revisit this again in a couple of years and see where you're at then. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Thanks. Thanks.